thank you for, for joining us on this topic. This is the topic that actually sparked all of our previous discussions. Brett and I have been wanting to discuss this topic for quite some time now, and we just found other topics to kind of explore first. Uh, of course, we started with the COVID pandemic because that was very timely. This topic has become timely again. It's been timely again and again and again and again. Um, and so we, you know, with recent uh, proximity of this topic uh, for one of the members, we thought that it would be um, a good, good time to explore this topic. So the topic is gun control. Uh, and we have a very, um, three of the four of us have been uh, near in very close proximity to uh, mass shooting events. Um, and so it's somewhat personal. Uh, and we likely have, you know, very different ideas on how to avoid this. Um, you'll uh, have to wait to the end of the episode to find out who is the NRA member at one point of their life uh, on, uh, um, as a member of the NRA. Um, <clears throat> and so unfortunately across society, we're presented with, you know, basically two extremes, um, often in the form of memes. And I'll kind of introduce one meme that I saw recently that uh, made this top of mind for me, which was uh, one to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers, ban sober drivers from driving. That's how gun control works. And to me, that's quite a dumb meme. Uh, and most of the top, most of the memes on this topic are dumb, whichever side they come from. And so we're often presented with this, you know, the one side that's gun, anybody that wants gun control wants no guns across society. Uh, and then anybody that is against gun control wants unfettered access to guns and any type of armament that could be uh, purchased. Um, and, and neither of those are really true. And, you know, we hope to establish maybe some ground rules for people, um, maybe some vocabulary understanding in this episode. We're going to probably leave what we think might be our solutions, uh, you know, overall uh, towards a later um, time. Uh, but it's important to probably know the proximity uh, for the listeners that uh, several members of us have had. So the probably the earliest uh, mass shooting event that any of us were exposed to uh, was Columbine. Uh, for Peter and I, that was a little bit close because our, our family uh, grew up in Denver. Our dad uh, was from Denver, grew up there uh, and spent most of his life uh, during his formative years there. And so we yeah, felt like we had close cousins in Littleton. We also have a lot of cousins in Littleton, which was very near the, the, school, sh where, the school where the shooting occurred. Um, fast forward a few years and uh, Brett and Peter were in Guam where a mass shooting event occurred uh, at the clinic, which was located probably 300 yards from our house uh, and the clinic where our dads worked. Um, I wasn't in Guam at the time, uh, but we, knew the woman uh, whose husband it was that, that came in and did the shooting and, and killed her, unfortunately. And then we also have a good friend uh, who was shot in the head during that shooting, fortunately survived and is a very, very productive uh, member of Loma Linda University. Uh, and so this is, you know, had very um, significant impact, I think, on all of us. And we've probably internalized this quite differently. I uh, was also in San Bernardino when the shooting, mass shooting event occurred in San Bernardino, as was Brett. Uh, and so we've That's all right. seen this. As was, I, I'd forgotten that Peter was here. I was at that heading time to lunch well. right there when it when the shooting started. Um, so there's even you know there's a lot of proximity and personal nature to this 
to, to mass shootings for us. And, um, and this can be a very emotional topic as well. You know, I'm sure that everybody recognizes that, that, um, that this can be a very emotional topic and that can make it really, really difficult. So that's what we're aiming for this evening is to discuss this topic and hopefully do so um, without uh, becoming enraged with each other uh, and provide um, some understanding for, for those of you that are interested in this topic. So Brett and Peter, you know, this probably impacted you the most. I don't know if you want to kind of start things off. I, I would also add that there was a mass shooting three miles from my house 11 days ago. Sorry, that was the, yeah, I, I, uh, I failed to mention that, um, which was actually the prompting event, why we thought we wanted to yeah, do this. It's a grocery this store that I go to. I, the woman, one of the women that was murdered uh, owns a store right down the street from us. And um, so very, very close to home. Um, yeah, I, Brett, I, I don't know where you kind of want to start, I guess. I, I, it was interesting. I had the, the, the shooting in San Bernardino just didn't really have an, an obvious impact on me. This one brought back a lot of memories of Guam that I could not have remembered two weeks ago. Um, and uh, so that, that was kind of an interesting, interesting thing. And, I, you know, I knew the shooter. I knew I was very close with Bernie Moreno, who was killed there in the shooting. Um, JC was our ACB coach, which is letting people know how nerdy we were. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, and and, and I, I think I, I had memory. I, I I couldn't like I said I couldn't remember this before, but I had memories of being on the bus and wondering if my parents were alive. Um, and yeah, it was a rather visceral experience that I've had in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Hey, do you want to kind of talk about what yours was? And then we can kind of talk about how school changed for us. And Yeah, no, I, I think the, the two things that Chad mentioned first, Columbine and then, um, and then the, the clinic shooting. Um, we, had, we had probably similar um, emotional reactions to, to both of those situations, given that, again, Columbine seemed very personal because it was somebody our age in an environment we were familiar with or we were in at the time um, and and the I guess helplessness that every high schooler feels about everything um, magnified uh, to a great degree because of of the violence that happened in, in Columbine um, with the clinic shooting yes it was very personal and, and I remember they funneled you know they canceled classes and they funneled people into the library and I believe the bible room and one of the elementary classrooms which was my mom's classroom so I went in there and, and I mean there were people like um you know Crystal Mendoza and and you know I would say 60 to 70 percent of the people that we went to school with had family if not parents working in that clinic setting and so when nobody really knew what was happening and how our families were faring. Um, they just said, well, we're obviously not gonna have school, but we don't wanna let people go. Like we- We, we, we were gonna get taken to the clinic. That was our launching off that's where That's where all the buses go is to the clinic. And so it is the one time that my mother has given me her car and told me to just go somewhere. And so it was, I was 16, I just turned 16. I'd had my license for about a week. It was very irresponsible of her. Um, <laughs> But we had eight people in our Ford Taurus um, driving out in that direction. Yeah. 
because we we wanted to be close when we knew what was happening when we found out what was going on um and in and i thought it was important i said this to peter earlier that we get this out of the way because our story is is not unique at all anymore and we are um some of the lucky ones in this type of a conversation. Like we are having this, we have this perspective from a very privileged position in some ways because there are a lot of people who have had a much worse experience than what we're sharing. Um, but I was, so I, I, I just turned 16. Um, I was very familiar with firearms. I, I, I got my first, I got my Red Rider BB gun when I was nine and my 22 when I was 10. Um, before moving to Guam, I spent all of my time in the woods shooting at things um, that I was supposed to be shooting at, not that I wasn't supposed to be shooting at. But uh, I, how many of those were Joseph? That <laughs> it was all the time. I grew up in a culture that was very comfortable with firearms. Um, and was very specific about the proper use of firearms. And there were real consequences when you used a firearm inappropriately. Last night, it was at my mother-in-law's house and I pulled out the Uncle Arthur bedtime story book. And I don't know if everybody remembers the Uncle Arthur bedtime story book, but there, there was a story that my father would share with us that would, he would read to us for worship frequently as his sons ran armed around the woods in East Tennessee. Um, and it was all about two kids who were careless with a firearm um, and accidentally ended up shooting somebody. And, uh, and, and so we were always very, um, we were always very responsible, but, or rather so, I remember feeling the, the powerlessness that come, came with that time, that day you know, in the clinic shooting. And all I could think of was, I don't want to feel powerless. I hate feeling powerless. And I know there's a solution. Now for a 16 year old, there's absolutely not a solution. And like I said, I think this was just magnifying all of the other insecurities that I was having. Um, but at the same time, I think that is what has helped develop a bias in me. Um, and uh, so that was kind of my reaction to those two situations. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things we should say is Brett and I actually talked about this and we started taking large knives to school in our book bags and sitting next to people that we thought would shoot up the school so that we could stop them. And so I carried, I mean, mine was literally a Japanese, uh, um, it's basically on the word, what are the things you put on the end of the gun? Bayonet. I had a large Japanese bayonet and I carried that to school with me every day. I really hope the statute of limitations on this has expired. Just uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Agabau, I think, is uh, unable to, to hurt us now. But yeah, it actually just kind of sparked something for me that that I hadn't really thought about. And I, I don't know if this had an impact, but it's it's a theory for maybe my bias now. Um, I had really kind of started getting into guns with you. We were like going to be Navy SEALs and all these things as we were kids. And I played with that guy's guns, the shooter. Uh -huh. I, I played with his guns. And I don't think I had at that point an understanding of what a gun could do. And then I'm like, oh, someone I really cared about is now gone. Um, I didn't grow up with guns around. I mean, we had pellet guns and I got a BB gun when I was 12 or something, but I, I didn't have that backstory. And so I wonder if maybe that, that had an effect on my bias. So, Ethan, <clears throat> you know, what, what's kind of your response so far, if, you know, hearing some of this and, and, the, the conversation. Well, it's interesting to hear firsthand 
you know, accounts, being, being close enough to one of the things to have memories and, and feelings about it um, that are specific. Um, I don't have, I don't have too many thoughts yet. It sounds like it's th those experiences are part of the picture for, for everybody here, but uh, they didn't necessarily send people in the same directions. They didn't necessarily um, send somebody on just one arc that, that stayed the same throughout their life. Um, you know, and, and I guess that's what we should expect with, with reflective people that we're talking to. There's something, an experience means one thing to you when you're 16, and then it, it means something different when you're 40 because you, you, you're bringing more to the table uh, when you consider it. So I don't think I have any input yet. All right. So I want to ask a question here that um, hopefully will will uh, Actually, help sorry. some. <laughs> um, I, I guess I can just share my early experience with guns, which sounds kind of like Brett's. Um, uh, my, my dad had guns. Um, we didn't, we lived out in the country so we could use them whenever we wanted. But by the same token, we didn't have like friends nearby or something. So I wasn't exposed to a lot of other households. Um, but we had guns, they weren't considered scary things. I mean, we were told from early on that they were dangerous and we weren't supposed to touch them, but they weren't locked up or anything. They were leaned against the wall in the study and we knew not to do anything with them. Um, and there were times when I didn't, you know, when I paid more attention to them than I was supposed to, but I didn't do it. it was, I didn't do anything dangerous with them because, because of how I'd been spoken to. Um, and, you know, I saw him used, um, you know, putting down a, a pet that needed to be put down right then because it was in pain and the vet was 20 minutes away or it was the weekend or something, um, shooting, shooting rattlesnakes, um, you know, n n normal stuff, but, uh, um, <clears throat> that was, that was one of my experiences. And then, uh, my father hunted, taught me to hunt a little bit, uh, foul mostly. And then when I was probably 10 or so, I took a, a firearm safety course. Uh, I, it, it might've been done by the NRA or some kind of hunting group, but it was a large, it was a national organization. And I remember doing that somewhere unfamiliar to me. And um, <clears throat> they, we had to learn about different kinds of guns and they showed us um, how you can play with white powder, but you don't play with black powder. Uh, we had a little demo demonstration of that. Um, <laughs> and uh, then, and that was, a, that was a, a prelude to me getting my, my, my first gun. Actually, I think it's the only gun I've ever owned, which was a 22 when I was probably 11 or 12. Um, and then I, like Brett, you know, ran around and shot at things that I was told I could shoot at um, for, for a couple of years. And you know, then I went off to high school and um, other than, you know, qualifying with a pistol in the Navy and then never using it, that, that's pretty much been my only experience with guns. Um, rather glad I don't have to handle them on a regular basis either because they're, they're a big deal. Yeah, I think having kind of everybody's, you know, understanding uh, or, or history, personal history with guns is really important for anybody trying to dis to engage in this discussion because 
you know, people, especially that haven't grown up around guns, which I, I didn't really either. I mean, I remember one time going and shooting at, you know, uh, our Pathfinders, which would essentially be like Boy Scouts uh, leader, his house. And, and I shot um, a couple of guns there. Uh, and then my in-laws enjoy, um, you know, shooting guns once in a while. So I've done that once or twice since then. But, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't have a personal attachment to guns. Uh, and so for me, it's a little bit hard to understand, you know, somebody that, that had a very significant history with guns and grew up with them and, and, you know, hunted and et cetera, or might have another very different history with guns. Um, so I want to ask a question here that, uh, you know, I think is going to try to get at some of the difficulty around this discussion. Um, and I guess I probably want to um, ask Peter first and then Brett. What is most frustrating, and, and Ethan, of course, obviously you can answer this as well. I think you will probably be, I'm just going to guess, a little bit more in the middle than, than either of them. But what is the most frustrating thing about the discussion around guns uh, that you hear um, from the opposite side of yours? So, Peter, if you want to kind of go ahead and answer that. Um. I, I actually, funnily enough, wrote down kind of three arguments that I find to be incredibly disingenuous, like 98% of the time from the other side. Um, I, the one that like, we need to protect ourselves from the government. Like, that's great in theory. Like, our government has drones. You're not protecting yourself from our government. I'm sorry. Like, that's just ridiculous in nature. Um, uh the another one is like we're gonna get these you know like if we don't allow them to be sold they'll get them on the black market kind of thing like the bad guys will still get them the guys that are doing these shootings like i don't say this to be crude but it's like fits into the stereotype the guy in atlanta was literally masturbating in his mother's basement like that is not a dude that's buying a gun on the black market i'm sorry you know, like people have a hard time finding marijuana in half these states. They're not going to be able to get a cold of an AR-15. Um, so that argument to me is, is ridiculous. Um, uh, this, this argument I think is very true on a personal level, but on a mass level, I think it's not as true. So for instance, uh, in talking about personal protection for Brett, I've known you for a long time. I know how responsible you are. I know how well thought out you are. I would bet money that if someone to, were to break into your home and you were there was a need to pull a gun, it's going to be done in a manner that is not going to hurt you, your wife, someone like that. It's going to, and I think on an individual level, that can be very true, that, that it is helpful as far as protection. On a societal level, I think that is very rarely true. The average person that buys a gun doesn't get proper training, things like that. And they end up killing themselves um, or somebody else that they love. Um, and so, uh, and, and then I will say the, the argument I think that actually is the genuine argument in favor of guns to me is these are a huge part of our American history for better or worse. Uh, they are written into our constitution. We have a right to them. To me, that is the argument. I want to have guns. I, I don't think you can make a good argument that people are getting on the black market. I don't think you can make it a good argument that uh, that um, you're protecting yourself from the government. So I think the true actual argument is they're part of our history and I want them. And I'm okay with that argument. <laughs> so that's my 
those are my uh, three and a half points. All right. Oh, I like it. I um, I guess I'll start with the argument that I the arguments that I I don't see as being useful or or actually you know actually realistic. Um, you know, we get, we we point out a lot of countries that don't have guns. Uh, the UK, um, Australia now. Australia is kind of everybody's favorite one to po to point at um, right now. For 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 those countries, um, I, I, again, I think it's an apples and oranges conversation. We're we're talking about in at least the UK um, country that has never really had widespread firearm ownership, at least outside of a hunting implement. Um, we have three hundred, roughly three hundred million firearms in. The population of the United States right now, um, so it's a very different argument. Um, I will come back and say, I, well, I am not. Well, I don't own a, a Predator drone or an Apache helicopter. The argument that um, private firearm ownership can be can be a shield against government overreach, I I do believe in that. Um, I, I think that for me, it, it's kind of two different things. Number one. With everything that's happening in my in, in Myanmar right now, I, I still want to call it Burma, um, but we look at what's happening to those protesters in America. That would be uh, that would be an armed conflict. It would not be um, it would not be a massacre like take that is like what is taking place right now. Uh, and I I don't see our government as the same as a coup in Myanmar, but I think that. If the last several years has shown us anything, it's how fragile our government, our democracy, our elected leader, our trust in elected leaders can be, and the violence that can come out of uh, that distrust. But I also believe that there is something. I want to interrupt you really quick because I want to tell everyone this is the point point where they should watch Waco. I don't know if you've seen that, but oh my word, they need to watch that because I think it makes arguments on both of our sides. Well, wait. <laughs> Waco is Waco is honestly, I think, a great example of this next point, which is um, there are things that the American people are willing to accept, um, and and the erosion, or at least as I've seen it, the erosion of some of our freedoms over the course of the last decade, I think, shows that we're kind of okay letting some things slide. Um, it's it, you know, I guess now more than a decade since we had the Patriot Act uh, fall into place. And we haven't really been able to figure out how to totally get that one out, out, of, uh, out of the way now. It's like a tax, you know, once it's there, it's there forever. Um, and so I see the, the gradual erosion of the Second Amendment as the threat. Maybe not like uh, bump stocks themselves because every responsible gun owner knows that a bump stock is ridiculous. Um, that it's not a useful tool, um, that it, it will cause problems. But the argument, I think, for most responsible gun owners is not we need to have bump stocks. It's that this is just chipping away. And I think even in the conversation that we see coming from or I see coming from the left in firearm ownership for decades has been nobody is coming for your guns. And then suddenly in the debates leading up to the 2020 primary, we had Beto O'Rourke who said specifically, hell yeah, I'm coming for your guns. When you have that being celebrated in any part of contemporary American culture, I'm not saying that the people celebrating it are necessary are, are wrong or they, I, I believe that they're factually incorrect, but yeah. it just shows that as we, since we can't have an adult conversation about this topic, 
we need to keep things in place until we figure out how to make what's currently law work. And then maybe we can let you have a little bit more law if you've been responsible with the law that exists. But uh, that's up to As us. As a liberal, Beto made me so mad by saying that. Well, I'm sure not just by saying However, that. However, I will, I will point out that he didn't say, well, my recollection could be faulty. I recall that he said we're coming for your AR-15s was his intention. Although uh, I could be wrong. He may have said coming for your guns and all guns. Um, nobody can have guns. I don't think that was his well, intent. But and I and I think that's the I think that's the most useless argument that is currently being made by the gun by the anti-gun lobby is the argument of AR-15s versus everything else. Peter, you have a uh, he did say uh, hell yes, we're gonna take your AR-15 and your AK-47. So and 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 I, I think that's my biggest again, that's 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 my greatest, I think complaint about this conversation is we are we are targeting a firearm that has been used in multiple mass shootings um, since the assault rifle or assault weapons ban expired. But it makes up a very, very small percentage of mass shootings. And so we would rather get excited about the thing that is is the 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 sexy gun, the, the big black, bad, bad black gun, and not actually address what actually happens in mass shootings. We've had, according to the statistics, 20 mass shootings between Atlanta and Boulder. But there were two where an AR-15 was used. And um, so, so we're gonna target that. And I think that for me is the biggest, is, is the biggest pet peeve we can't have a real conversation if we're not going to actually talk about the real issue. Okay. All right, Ethan, let's turn it over to you. So one of my, one of my pet peeve arguments is the same as one that Brett mentioned, which is um, that uh, nobody wants to take all your guns. Um, and it's a pet peeve because there are a, a you know smaller but but not small and vocal minority out there that do want to take all the guns and they look at Japan or the UK and go look there's no guns there and there's not these mass shootings and and um, there's not you know suicide by firearm and, and on and on and that is exactly what they want they want that future for America um, and I believe there's a personal there's I believe there's a fundamental human right to own a gun, a reasonable self-defense firearm. And so, of course, believing that, I, I'm opposed to someone that, that believes otherwise and wants to, to strip that right from, from all Americans or from anyone around the planet. Um, and that desire to take all the guns leaks out of that faction of the gun control crowd into the rest based on shared arguments. And I don't really listen to what policies people want because that's A, it's only what they're saying and B, it's only today. I tend to listen more to their arguments. What policies would their arguments support? Um, just because they're not going all the way today to the bottom of the slippery slope doesn't mean that they're not paving it uh, in advance. And 
a lot of gun arguments that I hear don't really have a stopping point built in. And when they don't recognize gun ownership as a human right, that's not a stopping point either. The only stopping point really becomes the Second Amendment. Uh, maybe that's why we're all fighting about that all the time. So, so that's a pet peeve one for me. Uh, my second pet peeve uh, is it's the guns, stupid. And this argument has become very mainstream. The New York Times put out an article a few years ago that was absolutely full of holes. Um, that's a gun pun for you there. Uh, but uh, literally, they, they led with a graphic that was supposed to show that it's the guns. And the graphic had enough outliers to show it's not the guns. <laughs> that it, this is a multi-factor issue. And um, in a classic example, a very good example of this, which is also not about mass shootings or something, so it's a little easier for people to, to see and swallow, is um, some other countries, notably Japan, um, has like two to three times our suicide rate. No guns. None of those suicides are from guns, a handful. They have two to three times our suicide rate. And then suicides in the US are like half guns or something like that. Those, they're, they're, you know, a huge chunk of ours. Okay. So clearly it's not the guns, stupid, when it comes to suicide, right? And that doesn't mean that guns are uninvolved. What it means is um, for some things, for some problems like mass shootings, guns are a necessary but insufficient condition. And for other, for or, or you know, commonly owned guns, and for other issues, they're not even necessary. And suicide is one of those. Not even necessary to have guns in your country to have a massive suicide problem. So that argument I find very disingenuous because it's it's clearly not true if you're looking at the stats carefully. There's no reason why anyone should expect it to be true. It just doesn't make sense on the face of it. And there's obvious and important parts of humanity that do play a role in that picture, right? Society and expectations and, and so forth. And this goes back to mass shootings and the AR-15 because what has happened in the last 25 years, 30 years is a meme. It's not the guns. It's the meme. Mass shootings are a meme and they, they have become a way for people to express themselves. Um, really, it's the worst meme. <laughs> it's the worst meme since the, since the existence of the meme. But, uh, but that's what it, that's a huge part of it. There are nations in which this doesn't happen, not because there's no guns, because it's not a meme there. It's not how people do things, not how they express themselves. It's not how that certain unstable, um, you know, bullied or, um, or uh, uh, unfulfilled, you know, young male member of society thinks of getting back at, at the world. And the AR-15 right, so, is oh. part of that meme. The AR-15 is front and center. It's, it's, it's how you do this meme. You know, it's like the, the big white outline font <laughs> on Facebook memes. It's just how it's done. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Um, so uh, I want to kind of wrap up this portion of the discussion with my frustration on this topic. Uh, and, and I guess I, ha I have frustrations with both sides of the, of the argument. Um, 
on this. I, I think that uh, the the thing that frustrates me is that there's really a failure to engage in the topic, except for with this extreme position of the opposite side. So there's no acknowledgement of the gray uh, on either side, by either side. Uh, there's only an acknowledgement of that extreme position, and um, and that makes it you know people very fairly ill-informed on the topic. Um, and it also makes rigid makes one's more one's own views more rigid because the only thing you're responding to is this extreme view. Now, I, I do want to respond to a couple of Brett's uh, you know points. Uh, one is that um, you know you were you were kind of insinuating that limiting anything uh, you know because of the scope creep essentially of, of gun control. Uh, or the people that might uh, want to, uh, you know, uh, implement gun control, um, that we should view any of that as, you know, essentially unconstitutional. Um, and, and that that also, you know, further um, makes more rigid the, the position of people that are on the opposite side from you. Um, and, the, and the inflexibility on something like, say, bump stocks makes it, the other side unwilling to engage either. Uh, and I think that if, if both sides, you know, and we don't wanna, you know, get too far into, um, into what our, you know, solutions for this are this evening, but, but if both sides would become just a little bit more flexible, demonstrate just even minor, you know, points of flexibility, like on something like bump stocks, that actually might allow the other side to engage more productively in the discussion. Um, now, I do want to uh, respond to also the idea of government overreach and uh, guns preventing uh, government overreach. And I think there's several, you know, there, there's several things. First of all, Burma is an entirely different country than the U.S. with a very different inner narrative um, than the U.S. Um, and there, yet there's specific instances, which Peter was alluding to in Waco, um, both with Waco and Ruby Ridge. Um, Ruby Ridge more specifically, where guns were a big part of the North Idaho um, narrative. Uh, and they, first of all, did nothing to deter the government from overreaching or acting inappropriately. And secondly, they didn't spark any kind of movement from many of the gun owners in that area that you would think would have, um, you know, really come to the defense of the people involved in Ruby Ruby Ridge, and so yeah, public opinion me, was a much larger force than the guns were in both of those instances. So, to me, the the, the idea that um, that uh, guns are in any way going to deter deter government overreach, I think, is is you know fairly fantastic, fantastical. <laughs> um, I think that so. The versios here are, are completely wrong on this, and will be completely. <laughs> Brett and I spend about. 10 minutes each talking about it, but we shouldn't do that tonight. So okay. we heard you keep going. Um, so I have one other, one other thing. Um, and that is, uh, you know, the, Ethan, you uh, brought up the topic of suicide and, um, and I think that uh, while, you know, certainly some countries like Japan, like you mentioned, have much higher suicide rate and guns aren't involved. Um, there is definitely uh, a significant lethality compared to su with suicide attempts by gun versus suicide attempts by other means. 
Um, and so uh, that on its own, I, while I recognize that, that guns are not entirely the problem with suicide, um, you know, I this is a topic that's quite close to home for me and Peter. Um, and uh, and um, yeah, I, I don't find that the I'll hear people say, well, if, if they wanted to commit suicide, they would just find some other way. And so guns, you know, that we shouldn't even include that in the discussion on guns. Well, um, I, see, I, I, I don't find helpful at all. I, I was thinking about that as Ethan was thinking. I, I don't believe that you have a God-given right to carry a gun. I think you have a, maybe an American-given right to carry a gun. I don't think God said, let there be light. Now you, you're welcome to have whatever gun you want. I don't think that, to me, I, I don't think that's a thing. I do think you have a right to decide if you want to be on this planet or not. And, and like Chad said, I, I have had, I think, eight friends or family members attempt to commit suicide. This is an issue that is very near and dear to my heart. Ethan, you know, one of, you knew one of them very well. Um, and, but I, I believe that you have a choice to be on this planet if you want. Um, so I, I actually would disagree with you there, Chad. I would say we need to take those out of the equation. You have a choice. Um, you're, you're a consenting adult. You're making a decision. It's a, I agree. So, it, it, I, I do think it's often unfortunate in the aggregate to have such a commonly available method that's so effective because the I think it's the vast majority of people who commit suicide um, fail and many of those end up being glad that they failed. Now, I agree with you, Peter, and I think of it the same way Nevertheless, when you look at those stats and you go, apparently, it would be good if people who tried to kill themselves failed a few times. Um, that's odd. Like, it, you know, it's kind of an odd thing to shoot for. But, um, but it does appear to be true. Uh, to me, I just disconnect. I, I just don't see the causal cord there. It's like, yes, that would be good. Like, on the mental health side of the spectrum, it would be good if we had non-lethal suicide attempts. But to me, you can't just take the practicality of that desire to move that suicide stat and say, so nobody should have guns because you're bumping up against what I see as a completely different list of arguments and rights and it just doesn't weigh. And so when somebody, right. like it, it's, it's terrible that somebody gets to the point of deciding to kill themselves and it's even more terrible if they're not actually there. Um, you know, and they're going to be in a different place in a week or a year, but it's not the gun owner's problem. And it's not the problem of gun ownership. It's just a separate mental health problem that is in fact exacerbated by a, by a very separate deal. Right. And I, and I, I agree. I think overall, you know, uh, it's a, it's a peripheral part of the discussion to gun control. Um, and, you know, it would be one of the things that, you know, would have to be uh, addressed through, um, you know, just kind of caveats, so to speak, uh, as far as who can have access, et cetera. It, it's also potentially um, uh, workable in a deal, right? Like if somebody wanted to take guns away, I believe that they ought to respond to what Peter and I think about suicide and say, as a result of taking guns away from people, one of the most effective methods of deciding not to be on the planet anymore, we will at the same time legalize assisted suicide and we yep. won't tie it up with a bunch of red tape. 
So uh, course, if they did, I, maybe some people would set the guns down now and go into that process because it's even easier than shooting yourself in the head, right? It's it's going to be even more painless and more certain. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you start out by getting some conversation and potentially some help. Uh, yeah. Um, if anybody is interested, there is a wonderful uh, movie uh, called "You Don't Know Jack," which is about Jack Kevorkian. I thought it was uh, quite good, um, very thought-provoking, uh, and obviously a, a well-known figure on the on the topic of uh, physician-assisted suicide. Um, why don't we transition here to kind of see what uh, quickly, and we're going to have to do this quickly because I think Brett has a hard cutoff here, uh, but quickly, what do you think would help people engage in this topic of gun control more productively? So why don't we start with you, Brett? Uh, I don't think we can. I think like abortion, uh, access to firearms and, and gun rights uh, have moved beyond saving. And uh, maybe I'm just a little bit too much of a pessimist, but um, I don't think that we, we, we can. I think the thing that would, I, I think the thing that did it was social media. I think access to opinions in meme form have pushed people uh, outside of having meaningful, thoughtful conversations about firearm ownership. I would say that if more people who had no experience or very little or limited experience with firearms would agree to, um, would agree to go shooting with uh, somebody who's trained, somebody who respects the tool and, and in, in a safe environment, I think you could then have a conversation about firearms as um, as tools, firearms, as a, a, a sports equipment. Um, and um, you could actually start to empathize a little bit with the gun owner. I think probably there's an equivalent to that somewhere um, on the, for, with the gun owners being able to uh, have some empathy for the conversation coming the other direction. I just, I don't really know what that is because I don't, um, yeah. I don't know enough people who are willing to engage in this conversation in a rational way. Wait, are you saying we're being irrational here? No, I'm saying that, that this is the only group that I think I might be able to convince to go shooting with me and may have an, may have an argument that is similar on the other side. Okay, Peter I, or Ethan. Uh, which one? I'll, I'll go first since I started talking. Um, I think that, that people need to get tired of the fight and I, that's probably not gonna happen. And uh, <clears throat> because when you get tired of the fight, you get interested in the, in the truce. And uh, unfortunately, there's always a politician out there that isn't tired of the fight because they're gonna use it to, to get office. Um, and hopefully, you know, my hope with social media, for example, you mentioned meme spread. My hope is that we're in the the upset tummy phase of this, and that we're going to get over it, and that people are going to evolve. A, a social evolution will occur, and um, you know, like back when banks failed all the time, society had a lot of wisdom about not how, how to not lose your money. You know, um, uh, about uh, not not trusting a lot of banks or how to vet your banks or stuffing it in your mattress or putting it in, you know, land or other things. Um, and, and in pre-banking world, there were a lot of 
other ways. There was relationship banking and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of wisdom grew up when banks weren't safe, right? Um, <clears throat> memes aren't safe. <laughs> the, the public dialogue right now isn't safe. It, it's full of, of uh, um, false and unhelpful efforts. And my hope is that people are going to pull back from that and say, <clears throat> and slowly wise up. And in 10 or 20 years, the landscape's going to feel different. Uh, on guns, <clears throat> if that happens, and if they get tired of lobbing memes back and forth, um, and we start listening to the most reasonable instead of the most unreasonable folks on the other side, um, then I think the possibility is there for large compromises, right? We could say, you know, on the pro-gun side, stop trying to undermine the Second Amendment. You know, that's what I want to say to our opponents. Stop trying to make it not be individual. I, like what it originally meant doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is the first thing SCOTUS says about it, right? And, and at the moment we have an individual right there, or at least it, it is in some of the cases, just give us that. Flat out rewrite the Second Amendment so that we can stop arguing about that. In America, you have an individual constitutional right to own and wield firearms for whatever purpose, right? As long as it's not unjust. You give us that, we stop being worried about you chipping away at that right because you just enshrined it. So now I wanna give you a lot of that sensible gun control and let's get a lot of those young angry men <laughs> separated from their guns. And let's be able to talk about the sex part of this and the, <clears throat> and the age part of this. Uh, the federal government's the only one that's allowed to be sexist and ageist and racist and everything else, right? This is its job in our society. <laughs> it, gets to, it gets to set all that stuff up. Um, I'd be happy to say males under 30, unless they're in the military, can't own a firearm. Boy, that'd get a lot of shootings gone. But it doesn't do anything about America's ability to fight off an invader even if that invader is its own government in some odd future that we don't see coming. Because there's still gonna be 300 million guns. And when things hit the fan, all those under 30 males are gonna have them within a week, right? Um, I would really I like kill that. the next Red Dawn remake. Yeah, well, but, but this is very important. America is unconquerable and it isn't because of our military. How the heck are you gonna conquer America? <laughs> you, it, it's impossible, and it's because of our guns. You could beat our military, you ain't going to be conquering America. <laughs> right? And and then we do that when when we don't want another country to get conquered, or or we don't like that they got conquered. What do we do? We go give them small arms, and all of a sudden, nobody wants to be in charge of that country for the next thirty years. Okay, Peter. Um, I think I have a lot of friends that I think are very sane gun owners. I mean, Brett, uh, I, you know, Brett is one of those. I, my, my best friend has an AR-15. I, I have a lot of friends that I believe are very, you know, I, I went to school in Eastern Washington where Ethan lives. There's a lot of guns in Walla Walla. Um, and 99% of them are very, very sane people, don't like the NRA. They've joined other organizations. They hunt. They, um, but I feel like the conversation is a little bit disingenuous 
that we have. And I think that it needs to be a more genuine conversation in order for minds to be changed. We see a lot of emotion on the liberal side. 10 people slaughtered in Boulder, we should take away guns, that wouldn't happen, right? That's the emotion there. The conservative side, there's very, it's like, well, let's be rational, but it's not, they're not making rational arguments. Brad, I think you alluded to this earlier. I felt powerless, right? I felt powerless. I didn't know if my dad was okay, right? And I would bet that that did inform your bias and inform your gun ownership and have a lot of influence on that. And I, th I would bet that if a lot of people talked to you and heard that story, talk, learned about your training, how you've grown up with guns, how, the way you take care of them, and heard that story, that's an emotional story and that's very real and raw because this gun argument is human. And most of the time you see, you know, the, the people on the farthest right, you see people screaming and going like, it's the second amendment. But you're not screaming about the second amendment, you're screaming about a personal fear. And that personal fear I think needs to be talked about a lot more. And I think that would change the conversation quite a bit because Brett, I think if you told your story to any liberal, they'd go, I understand and respect your beliefs. I may disagree with them, but I understand and respect them. So, um, you know, I, I think that you're right, Peter, this is a, a very emotional argument on both ends of the spectrum. Um, and, and I think you picked out very, something very astutely in that the right, it seems like to me, gen, generally wants to talk about this from quotes and intellectual. It's a position. logical thing, but it's not logical. <laughs> An intellectual position. And I think what would be immensely helpful is the right acknowledging the emotion of the left. Because to me, the emotion of the left is actually much more rational than the emotional uh, force that's driving the right. Um, in that, how can you not be outraged and incredibly horrified with what happens in Boulder, in Columbine, in Guam, in San Bernardino, in the innumerable you know, uh, mass shootings that have occurred? Um, <clears throat> and yet, unfortunately, the right basically almost from the beginning of every discussion of after every mass shooting just totally glosses over that um and i think you know i mean there's uh, some of the things that made the nra you know fairly despicable was they're essentially championing that in the wake of any shooting um and basically being defiant of the grief and horror and everything that might be in the aftermath of a shooting. And the NRA is viewed as the voice of gun owners. And while, um, you know, nobody here is any longer a, 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 an NRA member, it's viewed by the nation, even though it may not technically be the voice of gun owners. It is it's viewed by the left. I, like I said. Viewed by the left. No, no, no. It's, I, I would say, I would say, yeah, it's definitely viewed by the left, but even, um, you know, I think if you're well, you know, well, um, you're a responsible fire, firearm owner, then you're not going to ascribe to the NRA, but the NRA has huge political will on the right still. So I would say that is the dominant organization that is, uh, has been driving for the last 10 to 15 years, 
Yeah. Any it, type it, of unpolished. It has name recognition. It's like yeah, it has name recognition. Celebrity because they know what they're talking about. We listen to them because we all know who they are. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so I think that 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 unfortunately, you know, is is, you know, would if I were more you know more extreme on the left, that would be incredibly enraging. Um, to have this organization that basically I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I, I'm not very far on the left. It's enraging to me. I was literally in a sitting with a group three days after the shooting here telling the story about the shooting in Guam. And this guy reacts by saying, well, taking our guns away won't change anything. Like, dude, I didn't say anything about that. Like, I, I said literally nothing about gun control. I'm telling you a story. Right. So, I, so I think that for a lot of people, it's just the loud voice of the left are the ones that are heard. And they're the ones saying, I'm going to take your guns away. Yeah, so I think that, you know, just an acknowledgement of the emotion and, ra- and, and, and grief and horror of, of the situation, I think, would go a long ways in kind of um, helping the left understand uh, maybe some of the position of, of people that are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Now, let's go to the left, because I think the left has uh, a lot of growth to do in the way that it handles this discussion. And I think that would be understanding the personal history of people and doing something like Brett suggested of going and shooting with somebody um, would be very helpful to understand the way that they grew up around guns and um, and understanding that personal history, uh, I think, would go a long ways um, in being able to engage in the, the discussion, um, you know, more constructively. The other thing is, I think, understanding the stats, actually taking an interest in learning about it and considering, like Ethan pointed out, the incongruities of both sides of this discussion and not in a sense of you know necessarily what horrible you know what a horrible reporter for the new york times that you know put this article but a biased reporter of the new york times they have their biases just like you know all of us have our biases and so um rather than thinking of them as a horrible person because they misrepresented this topic regardless of whichever side they are recognize that they, like all of us, have flawed views, um, have biases that influence our, uh, you know, our views. And um, I think the left, uh, you know, could gain a lot from that. 